Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. portaling times do you one day you're one program the other day you're another program the world is just ever-changing beneath our very feet late kick is live we are high atop a recovering a thawing downtown nashville tennessee sunday night january 21st the year of our lord 2023 it's always important when we coordinate with the nfl in this divisional playoff round that they hit halftime right around the time we're supposed to go live and uh, just sincere appreciation to roger goodell and the boys for acquiescing and allowing us to have our show tonight at the right time. Ohio State, I don't even know who you are anymore. What's happening in Columbus, Ohio? We will discuss tampering in these tampering times. Do we need to discuss that? Not necessarily in reference to Ohio State, but in reference to the sport overall. Yeah, I'm going to touch on it tonight. I may not say some things that you guys necessarily are looking for me to say, but I will talk about it. College football in 2024. Then we, as we just scan over the horizon, we just peer out into the crystal ball of 2024, what are some things that are coming this year, maybe obvious, maybe in other cases not, that are going to greatly impact our college football lives? All that plus radical opinions, bold predictions. Uh, yeah, we got a loaded show. Jam-packed, dare I say. They're watching us in Fairhope, Alabama, Brooklyn, New York, Sunset, Texas, Colorado Springs, Colorado. I just made a little promise earlier this afternoon. I'm going to relay it on the show as well. I happen to have it on good authority that Pate State will have a mascot in the not-too-distant future. Hmm. He's been workshopped. He or she has been workshop behind the scenes, and I'm very much looking forward to it. So let's dive into the show. <laughs> I saw someone, I saw someone just put in the live chat something that um, has been bandied about the South over the last few days. T. Rob uh, got overpaid by Georgia is the hot rumor in the live chat. Traveris Robinson is a new co DC, at least that's his title at Georgia. He didn't get overpaid, guys. He did not get overpaid. I know 1.3 million dollars a year is the number floating around. Uh, what if I told you that's exactly what he should make there? Anyway, that's not what we're leading the show with. I just happened to see that over there. Um, well, Ohio State has had enough, I guess. Ohio State looked around and they saw maize and blue confetti falling out of the sky a couple of weeks ago on a Monday night and said, all right, game on. And they looked around and said, we're located in what? Columbus, Ohio? We got 
how many deep-pocketed boosters you can do what legally in this sport now? Game on. Ohio State has gone on an absolute supermarket sweep rampage of the transfer portal. Ohio State, uh, once a program that I would reference on this show as not a big NIL player in the game, has all of a sudden become uh, probably the apex predator of NIL players in the game. Caleb Downs is now an Ohio State Buckeye. That was earthquake-type news the other day, by the way. Everyone, just about, was convinced he was going to Georgia. And all of a sudden, what was it, Friday night, Jesse, I guess? It was Friday night, all of a sudden the news pops. And uh, next thing I know, I'm over on CBS Sports HQ talking to the esteemed Hakeem Dermish about what kind of impact he was going to make in Columbus, Ohio. Hey, that's a huge deal. And then you add that onto the fact that they got Will Howard from Kansas State. Uh, they got Quinchon Judkins from Ole Miss. And then since then, they've landed Julian Sayan, who was the number one quarterback in this past cycle that had just been on campus at Alabama for about 15 minutes as an early enrollee. And down the road, I'll talk to you about how all that went down. But the end result is Ohio State right now, let me give you a little, <clears throat> an early show paper pop statistic. They have added seven five stars via the portal or recruiting for this cycle. That's more than the rest of the Big Ten combined. You understand what I just said? That's with Oregon and USC and Washington and UCLA. Ohio State has signed more five-star talent. Ohio State has now acquired more five-star talent in this cycle, portal recruiting combined, than the rest of their conference combined. They've acquired more than Bama, Texas combined. Never seen Ohio State do this before. Josh, Ohio State's always recruited well. Not like this. Well, Josh, Ohio State's always gotten players. Not like this. Now, what does it guarantee? Nothing but pressure. Doesn't guarantee anything. I'm not going to sit here tonight in January and suggest it does. But as of today, they are the second odds-on favorite to win the national championship this upcoming year. And I imagine that market may move a little bit. This is a major shift, one that I'm not surprised they're able to do. There are some programs out there capable of spending this kind of money if they wanted to. Ohio State's not alone in that. But seeing Michigan win a national championship did something to these people. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And the thing about it is Ohio State does not have to mortgage their entire future and take out loans and spend irresponsibly to do this. Those are some of the deepest pockets in the sport there in Columbus, Ohio. They could easily afford to do this. I told you a couple of things were happening around that program over the last month that I didn't necessarily think Ryan Day loved, and I don't think it's stuff he wants to do. I don't think a lot of these staff moves he's made are moves that he was in love with making, but they're necessary. And I don't think in his heart of hearts, Ryan Day really wants to be spending this kind of money on, in some cases, unproven players, but I think he feels like he has to. And you know what? Unlike years past, when Ohio State would kind of look down their nose, maybe rightfully so, at some programs down south that trafficked in this stuff when it wasn't legal, you're allowed to do it now. And so when the current structure of the game affords you the opportunity to take advantage of a talent acquisition mechanism, they're doing it. Uh, there are some places where they don't want to jump in like this. There are some other places that right now famously don't even want to traffic in the portal, period. It's an evolving philosophy. That's why it's another reason now why I continue to say, don't just say things like a Ryan Day team can't do this, can't do that. Don't say a Ryan Day program can't do this and that because the very nature of what a Ryan Day team is continues to evolve. 
the very nature of what a Ryan Day program is continues to evolve. They won with defense this year. Who in the world would have thought they were going to win with defense two years ago? They could have one of, if not the best defenses in the country this upcoming year. No one would have said that. No one would have thought a Ryan Day team was going to be that two years ago, nor did anyone think a Ryan Day team was going to completely take a sledgehammer to every nearby ATM to do what they're doing in NIL, but they are. So what does this mean? Well, it means that they've got some really, really talented football players, even more so than they'd normally have on campus. It means that they are going to be the overwhelming favorite in many people's minds to win their conference and to maybe win the national championship this upcoming year. It's going to create pressure unlike Ryan Day's seen there, and that guy has lived in a microscope. He has lived under a white-hot spotlight, but even more so, I think, now because the expectation will be that Michigan takes a step back. The expectation will be that Ohio State sort of reascends to the spot that they once enjoyed there, and that was a firm grip on the number one spot in their conference. Ohio State's not a window team. A lot of people were asking, what do you think about it? Uh, Well, I'm not in love with the idea that this is the way college football works right now, but it is the way it works, so it's not shot-taking time at Ohio State. But the difference here, as opposed to some other programs out there that you're seeing take real big swings at the pinata, is Ohio State is not a window team. When I say window team, I mean a team that circles a year and disproportionately gathers funding much more so than they did last cycle or they're going to be able to do next cycle. It's like saving up your money to buy a car. And a lot of programs do that with NIL, and they will do that with NIL. And there's one in Oxford, Mississippi, I believe, doing it right now. And they're going all in on 2024. Ohio State can just go all in on every year. Texas can go all in on every year. There are about a dozen programs out there that could easily fit the bill financially of going all in every year. So my point is, I... I'm not choosing to look at this and saying, all right, well, they'll try this out this cycle, but then it'll be back to normal. First, there is no normal anymore, first off. And secondly, what if it works out for them? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit the alternative in a second, but what if it works out for them? What if they have excellent chemistry with this group? What if it doesn't fracture the locker room? What if it all comes together and they win a title this year? Well, that would be validation that they took the right approach And they'd probably just hit rinse, repeat, copy, paste on this every year. Conversely, this is foreign territory for pretty much everyone up there. They've never acquired talent using these means. Uh, They have never brought talent in to this degree using the portal like this. They've seen some guys leave, but Ohio State has not in mass gone and spent to acquire talent in the portal. Um, So it may work out for them. You also have the flip side. You have the opportunity to find out the side effects of acquiring all that talent. They wouldn't be the first one to deal with it. They certainly won't be the last. So we're in January, is my point. And there, there is no need to start making these grandiose predictions. And there's no need to start stamping anybody to the college football playoff or the Big Ten championship game. You can. I'm not. What I am very interested in seeing is how it plays out. I know what the pressure is going to be like up there, as do you. That's nothing new for them. I think it'll be a little bit different in tone because they've chosen to go this route. Not mad at them whatsoever for going this route. I would hope down the road that there's a little bit different structure in place in the sport in general where this is not necessarily the way it's working 
this time of year at least. Uh, but as for now, that is the way it works. And so hats off to them for getting aggressive enough to do what needs to be done in a way that it's allowed to be done, I guess is the best way I can summarize that. That's like the, that's like the bumper sticker version of what they're doing. Do we have that Lane Kiffin tweet, by the way, Jesse? So Lane Kiffin, college football commentator, also a head coach every now and then, said um, he didn't say anything. He retweeted a report, and then he always puts the caption of the report in the body of the tweet, which is fascinating. Report, Ohio State Buckeyes spent $13 million and counting in NIL money in an attempt to field elite roster, gridiron heroics. So did they. Maybe not to that extent in Oxford, but so did they. I could interpret that a number of ways. I could interpret it to mean Lane Kiffin saying, look, we're not the only ones doing it. Even the big boys are doing it. I could take it to mean him saying, look, this is just the way it is now. This is the way it has to be. If you're going to win, you got to spend. Did you notice that figure? I'm not even going to vouch for whether it's valid or not. Let's just for a second blindly assume that Ohio State has spent $13 million to acquire this class. What do you think about that number? In the, in the free agency world of college football, what do you think about that number? Because it's huge. It's a huge, huge number. But let's just say it's valid. I had someone at a major program sit me down in their office during this past season and explain to me how they thought about $8 million is what it would take to field an elite top 10 competitive roster now moving forward. They wanted to be in the 7 to $9 million per year payroll range. That's what they thought it would take. This number is north of that. I don't think in good conscience Ohio State plans on spending that kind of money every year, but let's just say they did. There is thinking out there that mm, we got to have our collectives step up. Or if you, if you, if you want to do what Ohio State did, you guys work in your nine to five jobs, you need to, you need to donate 15 and $20 at the time and we can make this happen. And it is insane to me. I cannot believe that's where we are right now. I cannot believe in a sport and a couple of conferences in this sport with the SEC and Big Ten where they have signed multi-billion dollar media rights deals. They are on the precipice of every program bringing in about eight figures per year and not on the low end, just in media rights money alone. And because we have this rule conveniently, conveniently placed for them, that athletic departments can't contribute to the collective. Well, guys, we, we'd love to take care of our own payroll with this money, but instead we're just going to hire 20 new administrators here and divide the money up that way. We're going to build facilities uh, so we can hide some of this money. You guys are going to have to fund the collective, though. Yeah, you're working at a gas station. You drive a bus route. You're working construction. You're trying to put your kids through college. Yeah, trying to make ends meet, put food on the table, do all that. But also give your $19.95 a month to Collective U so we can compete with Ohio State. And then some coaches have the audacity and the gall to step to podiums and shame fan bases. Fans, the normal fans, when they can't match dollar for dollar um, figures being put out there on the collective market. Just fascinating times, huh? I, I will promise you this, it won't be like this very much longer. Now, I don't know what the replacement model will be. There is no way, I, mark my words, there is no way, there is no way that certain people are going to allow the sport to continue to operate as it is right now because it's insane right now. 
there will be parameters. There will be guardrails. Now, what that comes in conjunction with is still very much open to interpretation. But I told you at the national title game, I'll reiterate it now. Enough of the right people are fed up with how things currently are that there are changes coming. Could be one week, could be two weeks, but there are changes coming. Oh, you know what? What a natural transition. Speaking of the future, and welcome in, by the way, if you're new to us here, we do this show multiple times a week, all year, no off-season, and it's free. If We would humbly ask that you subscribe to the channel and the podcast to keep it free. And what we would like to do right now, I'd like to just gaze off into the distance on the horizon. Colin, here's a good endpoint for you. What does college football 2024 mean to you? Are there things you're looking forward to? Because I have some things. The first thing is this whole idea of conference realignment. You know and I know it happened. Like you know the University of Washington is playing in the Big Ten this year. The University of Texas and Oklahoma, they're playing in the SEC this year. But we haven't seen it. You know the pac 12s not there anymore. But you have not gotten to that 10 o'clock window on the East Coast and tried to find Pac-12 games and then realized oh, it's not there anymore, at least as we came to know it. Oh, I forgot about that. Like all that's coming this year. One of the things that I'm just morbidly fascinated and curious about is what is the, re, I guess the reality of realignment? That could be a, a late kick tour name. Reality of realignment tour. It's too hard to say. Never mind. Scrap that. Uh, Coach Quinn, Gelby, if you're listening, scratch that one off the list. We got to come up with names for this stuff. I am henceforth referring to this as the A2 and B2 era. So I got the A2 being the SEC and the Big Ten. There will be a clear distinction between the strengths of those conferences and what I'm calling the B2, which is the ACC and the Big 12. Still very quality football being played and pretty high-level football being played there, but the strength of those conferences, it'll be very obvious there's a pretty sizable gulf there. But how is it interpreted come playoff time? More on that in a second. Also, it's going to take some getting used to to think about Utah as a Big 12 team or Stanford as an ACC team. You realize you could throw a rock from Stanford's campus and have it land in the Pacific Ocean, and they are playing conference games against Virginia Tech or Virginia or Miami. That's where we are now on that front. Oh, by the way, so is Cal. And oh, by the way, so is SMU. They are ACC teams. And I just think there's so many headlines that are sprayed like a fire hose in your face as a college football fan right now that a lot of you just flat out forgot that. Because it's, it's been, what, a couple of months now since those headlines came down. So that's the first thing, just the reality of conference realignment. The second thing is this whole conversation we had uh, last week, I think, about the face of college football. So it used to be, up until very recently, that when there was trouble in the sport, Everyone looked down in Tuscaloosa and, oh, Nick Saban's got a press conference today, or, oh, Nick Saban's at SEC Media Days, or Nick Saban's taking the podium before a playoff game. Let's ask him about existential issues facing our sport. Maybe work some Bama depth chart stuff in on the back end. And he always had something to say. We had him on this show a number of times. He always had something well thought out to say. Well, I don't know how vocal Nick Saban will be moving forward, but he's not an active head coach anymore. But yet the sport has never needed powerful voices speaking up for change more so than we do now um, because what's what's happening now I don't really think works for anyone and a lot of those guys feel the same way we've heard Kirby talk about it we've heard Jim Harbaugh talk about it Marcus Freeman's talked about it we've heard a number of these guys talk about it it's just you're gonna have to turn the volume up a little bit 
And it needs to sound like a chorus. It doesn't need to sound like 10 different people trying to sing 10 different songs because that gets you nowhere. Um, There's some disagreement about certain odds and ends, but at the core, a lot of these guys want the same things. A lot of us want the same things. In some cases, we want some things back that we feel are lacking from the game right now. So you need powerful voices speaking up. Um, very interested to see who that'll be. Like, who takes on that responsibility? Because, guys, it's hard enough to run a football program. It's, it's really difficult to do that. So, um, candidly, a lot of those guys would listen to me say that and say, well, piss off. Find someone else to do it. I got a job to do. I know. I know you do. Uh, trust me, I, I get it as much as someone who doesn't coach can get it. But that doesn't negate the fact that what I'm talking about is needed. So, um, if you're not going to take on the responsibility, you know who is. And who is is people who don't have much of a clue as to what they're talking about. And their stances and their statements and their ideas are going to fill a vacuum that could have been filled by you. And you're going to end up having to live a lifestyle as a coach that is, in some cases, shaped by them. And if you don't believe me, check out your life right now. Check out what December's like for you right now. Might I suggest if the right people had spoken up and taken action five, six, seven years ago, you may not be in the mess you're in right now. So I'll leave that there. Uh, thirdly, do we see any more unexpected churn? There are a lot of differing opinions as to what made Nick Saban decide to retire when he did. You know, I've told you several times that I think we're approaching an era, if nothing changes, we're approaching an era where I don't think Saban's the last one. And I think much younger coaches, you could see out of the blue, just decide I'm going to step away from the game. I'm not mentioning any by name. I am telling you, um, in confidence, I, I don't even know how many. The, the count would not be able to fit on both of these hands if I were to try and count them with my fingers of guys who have privately said, I'm, I'm just about out of here. I'm just about done. We, I cannot take this. I'm not talking about low-end um, grad assistants or like off-field analysts or anything. I'm talking about coordinators, head coaches at major programs. Some of them, you would, you would think, no way, that guy's got another 20 years left. Well, he should. Yes, he should. But there are guys looking at NFL. Now, I'm going to float you a radical concept here. Dan Mullen has been noticed by a lot of people. Dan Mullen has it made right now. Dan Mullen, now, he, he didn't want to get fired. But once Mullen was let go by Florida, he did it the right way. He found his way into the media lane, and he hasn't mailed it in. He's done a really good job. Dan Mullen's really informative and entertaining. And as a result, Dan Mullen's stock has only risen since he has been let go from Florida. And he's been on your TV screens, and every coach sounds like a genius on TV. You're always right, too. You're never wrong. And so you get to sit in a studio on Saturdays, and you get to elevate your profile, and you're constantly in front of everyone's face. And then, lo and behold, Dan Mullen starts getting offers again. And he's turned several of them down, and he can afford to continue to do it. Or he can just wait for the right one to come along. And there are other guys who have noticed that. And I've had a bunch of coaches mention Dan Mullen, and they will say it like this. I may just go do what Mullen does for a little while. They're not talking about getting fired. They're talking about voluntarily stepping down. Here's the thinking. Let's picture myself as a major coach head coach at Pate State right now. We're a perennial top 20 team, but I detest the current state of the sport. I'm 44, 45 years old. I still got a lot of tread left on my tires, but I just want a break. So I step down for whatever reason. 
and I go to CBS or I go to Fox or NBC or ESPN, and I go sit in the studio three or four years. I go sit there long enough for the sport to figure itself out, and I basically, once I like things the way that I want them, once I got things the way I want them, I just hop right back in, let my agent know, start floating my name, and once the right job opens up, I'll just hop right back in. I think someone's going to do that. I think someone in the prime of their career may step away from college football and look a lot like Chris Peterson looks, actually. I don't think Coach Peterson plans on getting back in, but I'm saying Chris Peterson, when he stepped down, took a lot of people by surprise. You may see someone else or someone else's step down, go work TV for a little while, refresh themselves in the process, recharge their batteries, and then when the sport looks you know, more inviting, something they actually recognize, they hop back in. There will be, I think, a collective realization in 2024 about what the playoff is. You know there's a 12-team playoff coming. Uh, that's, that's all most people know. But the collective realization of how that playoff works, I think uh, around August, September, October, that'll start to set in for a lot of people. And some people are not going to be happy with it. I don't even mean the size of the field. I mean how the field is selected. Like, trust me, you guys watch the show. Like, if you're watching the show in January, you're a hardcore fan, so you probably are aware that as of the moment, we have a 6-6 six and six format which means six auto bids for conference champs. It's insane. And then you got six at-large spots. And there's a lot of talk behind the scenes that that may shift down to a five auto bid, seven at-large model. But either way, that means, you know, your SEC and Big Ten champ are going to be in, and then you got three or four more conference champs that are guaranteed a spot. As of now, you probably have two G5 teams in there. Whatever G5 means to you these days. And... Mind you, it's not just your top 12 teams. You've got the highest ranked conference champs regardless. There's a world where you could be ranked 20th. Liberty could be ranked 20th or actually, let me even pick teams in the conferences. So, I mean, Tulane, it always sounds like I'm picking on them. I'm not. Hats off to Coach Summerall, get it done down there. But there's a world where a Tulane or a UTSA or whomstever could be 20th in the country. But because they're one of the two highest ranked G5 champs, they just get in. They get in over a 10 and 2 or 9 and 3 Oregon that's floating right there on that bubble. Insanity. I don't think it'll last that way, uh, but it's insanity. So, how does the committee interpret strength of conference? Is what I am totally out to lunch on. I don't know. Uh, and what I mean is, you've got a new era here, and you got, a, you got the A2 B2 era, you got two behemoth conferences in the SEC and the Big Ten, then you got the Big 12 and the ACC which are respectable in their conference strengths, but they pale in comparison to the big boys, what's it going to take? Is it a two-game gap? Is it 9-3 and three in the SEC equals 11-1 and one in the Big 12? How, how is it interpreted? Because keep in mind, they still got to negotiate that new playoff, 2026 and beyond. And if Greg Sankey or Tony Petiti sit there and they see that the strength of their conferences is not getting properly interpreted by that committee, I don't think they're going to sign off on any kind of auto-bid structure in the future. And in, in the world as it's structured now, why should they? I also think when we do get to December, now this is going to blow your mind, because again, although everyone knows we've got an expanded playoff, we haven't lived it yet. I'm not even talking about whether I like it or not. It's here, so think about this. December is going to feel like the biggest time warp you have ever 
thrust yourself into. And January, too. There will be a month-long period where you have no clue what day it is. So think about this. We're trying to find out if they have the early signing day still set for that third Wednesday in October in uh, December. We're trying to find that out. So let's just, for the sake of argument, assume that it is. Remember, we got four rounds of playoffs now. So you got the early signing day that I assume is on that Wednesday, which would be December 18th. The first round of the playoffs starts two days later. You could have teams out there prepping for playoffs, and the week of the game, they're also tasked with signing their class. Makes total sense. So you, you sign a class. Two days later, you may have a road playoff game. They got a game on Friday. Then there are three of them on that Saturday. Okay? That's the first round. Then you have Christmas. And then the next week, Tuesday, December 31st, you have a quarterfinal game. Wednesday, January 1st, you got quarterfinals. And then you fast forward another 10 days. And uh, by the way, stop me when you see a Saturday anywhere here. The semifinals happen on Thursday, January 9th, and Friday, January 10th. Then you fast forward another 10 days, and the national championship game is on a Monday night. Oh, by the way, that's Martin Luther King Day. Oh, by the way, that's Inauguration Day. How do you feel about that? I think it's insanity, but how do you feel about that? Uh, and just pinpoint any day in that stretch. If you're like me, you know, if you're glued to this stuff, and you've got portal happening within that, and you've got coaching searches happening within that, you will not know what day it is. You will feel like you have been transported to another dimension for an entire month. There's no other way to be a college football fan anymore in, in that structure. There's no other way to do it. So, by the way, just I skimmed this over a little bit too quickly. Our playoff games are going to be Friday and Saturday, then Tuesday and Wednesday, then Thursday and Friday, then Monday. You really think the right people have their hands on the wheel of this sport right now? eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie. And we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? 
That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It, it couldn't be Academy. That's all I can say. Academy Sports and Outdoors, if they ran things, Saturday championship games. Don't even care what anyone else is doing, but they don't. What they do is they run really good stores. And they make our show free of charge to you. We always appreciate that. It is, right now, very icy in Nashville. So it's not the best time to start spring sporting season outside, but it will be very soon. Academy Sports and Outdoors has your hook up there. If you can't get there in person, Academy, just boop, 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 academy.com. They've got your hook up. And um, always, arm in arm, a partner with us. And they, look, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes back and forth between us and them as well. They're always asking, hey, what do the folks want? What do the folks want? So we really appreciate them. Academy Sports and Outdoors, one-stop shop for all things outdoor sporting goods plus. Let's roll along. It's time to talk about the T word. You know, you see some of those infomercials during these NFL games for low T medication. We, we do not have low T in college football. We've got very, very high T. Tampering, a lot of it going on. What do we do about it? What's the cure for high tea tampering in these tampering times of ours? I had a question from one of you, Cora, from Madison, Alabama. And Cora said, did you see Caden Proctor admit that Iowa tampered with him? Yes, I did. Caden Proctor was the number one offensive tackle in the country last year. He is from Iowa. He goes to Alabama, starts his true freshman year at left tackle. He has since entered the portal and gone back to Iowa. I think he was at the basketball game Saturday and a reporter, you know, put a mic in his face and was asking him, why would you come back here? And he said something along the lines of, I feel supported here. They kept reaching out to me this year. And then a lot of people took that to mean, uh-oh, Iowa tampered. I don't know if they did or not. Um, if they did, what I would like to suggest to you is they weren't alone. So do I like tampering? No. Could, if I could rid the world of tampering with the push of a button, would I? But that's not the button that is realistic to press. Jesse, do we have the button? Yes. As you know, we are entering an election year, and we will spend approximately zero seconds covering that election on this show because it's not what you watch our show for. However, when I am elected college football commissioner, I plan to have this button on my desk. And if you're listening on podcast, the button says three-year bowl ban. Forget bowl. Three-year postseason ban for any team guilty of tampering. Now, if that was an all-knowing button, if the truth was held within that button, and me pressing that button would completely eliminate any team where any staffer or any player or any support staffer or anyone associated with the program had tampered, would any of you really want me pressing that button? Your answer is no. Because all your teams have done it. And if your head coach and offensive coordinator and defense coordinator hadn't done it, someone down the line has done it. If they haven't, you have an athletic department full of living, breathing angels, and they're probably going about six and six this year, but God bless them anyway. So pretty much everyone's doing it. I am going home later tonight. I will drive through Atlanta. I will look at speed limit signs that say 55 miles per hour. 
I won't be doing 55, nor will anyone else around me. Is it right? Is it justified just because I say everyone's doing it? No. But in order to make sure I'm safe, I actually have to go above the speed limit. It's actually safer flowing with traffic than it is going the speed limit. So in college football, let's say everyone else around you is tampering and you don't like it. And they don't necessarily like it. Everyone's just doing it because everyone else is. And you had two choices. Let's just say I gave you an A-B scenario. A, you get some of your players, upperclassmen who you know you can trust, to, to stay in touch with some of their buddies on other rosters and sort of report back to you. That's tampering. You could either do that or you can not do it and see your opponents uh, reaping the benefits of tampering and you're going five and seven and your AD says you're fired. And you tell him, no, 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 sir, I could have gone nine and three last year, but I didn't tamper. And he says, okay, but you're still the same fired that you were before you told me that. What would you do? You'd probably tamper. You probably would because you'd look at it and say, this is not so much an ethical dilemma for me. It's just an NCAA issue. Kind of like, you know, if, if I buy extra cheese Whiz and put it in the trays there in the uh, rec hall, it is against NCAA rules, but I don't really think I'm doing ethically anything wrong. And a lot of guys look at tampering the same way. So how would you ever police it? That's my first question to you. If you've got an idea, I'd love to hear it. There was a fight about this on this show five years ago, which was the time to address it, by the way, five years ago. So five years ago, we were not here. Five years ago, I was doing the show down in Columbus, 20, 25 people watching on a good night. And uh, we, would, we would do segments sometimes where we would actually take calls. How, Colin, how would that go over these days? So we're taking calls, and this was when they were proposing the transfer portal. So they were proposing the portal, and it was on the heels of, there was some transfer that had happened, and someone was trying to block it, and then, and then everyone was saying, well, no coach should ever be allowed to block this, or no conference should ever be allowed to block that. We should just have free transfers. Sounded great. Players' rights and all. Sounded great. So I took a call on that one night, and someone suggested players should be able to just freely move anytime they want to. And I said, well, no, they shouldn't. And they said, well, normal students can do it. And I said, football players aren't normal students. Football players are given things that normal students don't. Uh, they are therefore asked a little bit more than students are asked way it is, as far as I can see it, as far as I can tell, as far as I cared back then. And they said, nope, you're holding them to a double standard, and they're not employees, so that's not right that you can do that. And we got in a fight, because I said, okay, do you know what the consequences are? I asked the guy, are you a college football fan? I said, let's just, let's just go nuts and bolts here. Are you a fan of college football players, or are you a fan of college football? Not even to consider right and wrong, necessarily. I just wanted him to answer the question for himself. He said, I'm a college football fan. I said, all right, you understand what you're advocating for and what it'll do to the sport, right? He said, what do you mean? And I said, well, if you have free transfers, understand that means the recruiting process never stops. Right now, back then, it stops once a kid commits. And if, if I finish second for him, Pate State finishes second, runner-up for a wide receiver, he takes the Pate State hat off on signing day, puts the Georgia hat on, that's it. But now, I could just tamper with him behind the scenes his true freshman year, and if he doesn't start immediately for Georgia, I could be in his ear or his aunt's ear or his sister's ear, and I could keep trying to recruit him, which means Georgia has to continue to recruit their entire roster. And you know what that guy said? That had never happened. 
His thinking was, staffs are too busy, recruiting as it is. They'll never have time to, in an organized, effective manner, also recruit other rosters. And I said, sir, if you're proposing a world where you're allowed to acquire talent from other college football rosters anytime you want, as long as they're willing to come along, might I suggest to you that a lot of the tension from some of these staffs would be redirected from high school recruiting to college recruiting? I said, that had never happened. You're just fear-mongering. That had never happened. Well, it happened. Now you can't go back. That's the thing about slippery slopes, Meemaw used to tell me. They call them slippery for a reason. Now you can't go back. I haven't gotten a call from him lately, and I know him, by the way. I know him. Our, our show was so dead back then, we had to plant phone calls. So I knew and know him. Haven't heard much from him on that front. But hey, if you're really that upset with tampering, call it out. That's my advice. If you're really that upset, take a page out of Pat Narduzzi's book at Pitt. He had Jordan Addison. He thought Lincoln Riley and USC staff tampered with him. And so he called him out. And he said, USC tampered with this kid. And then Pat Narduzzi was on record the next cycle as saying, no one tampered with our roster. We didn't have any problem with tampering this cycle. Why? Because Pat Narduzzi actually stepped up and called someone out publicly. Now, you better be clean when you do that. And I guess they are uh, because he was quite confident in doing it. So outside of that, like I told you, you can either get with it or you can get run over by it or you can get out of it. Those are the three options. Next up, a lot of wide-ranging topics on the show tonight. Appreciate you guys watching. Make sure you just like the video and subscribe to the channel while you're here. Jesse, is this a question? This, this whole Big Ten and, yeah, it was. Okay, so we had a question from Santa Barbara, California. Listen to this. I'd be very interested to get your thoughts on this. The question is, given money, resources, access to multiple playoff berths, and strength of schedule, do you think every Big Ten and SEC head coaching job is better than any job outside the conference? Now, he added some caveats there, but I'm just going to go with what he asked there in the body of the question. Uh, my answer is no. So to be clear, what he's saying is all these, con well, not all these conferences, the SEC and the Big Ten are getting so much more TV money that allows them to pay their coaching staff so much more if they want to that could the worst job in the Big Ten still be better for a coach than the best job in the ACC? And my answer is no. I don't think that's the case. Now, my question does become, in this new world of ours, in this A2, B2, everyone else world of ours, how radically is the pay scale warped? Because right now, the highest paid coaches in these conferences are paid dollar figures that Clemson or FSU or Miami could easily afford to pay. Do we ever get to a spot where the head coach of Purdue is making $17 million a year? I don't think we will, uh, because I think we are rapidly approaching a period in the sport where the revenue is going to have to be shared with a lot more people than just the coaching staff. So I don't think we'll ever get there. Right now, the top 10 highest paid coaches as of last year, it was Saban and Swinney and Smart, uh, Josh Heupel was 10th, but the point is the gap between Saban and Heupel was $2 million, and Saban made 11.5 last year. Dabo made 11 or thereabouts last year. There are a lot of programs outside the big two that can afford to pay that kind of money. They can afford that. So as of this moment, the pay scale hasn't been warped. 
to that point. Will it be warped in the future? If so, we'll have to revisit this. But right now, FSU has got no problem keeping up with that kind of pay scale. If they got the right guy, and they do, and Mike Norvell, like they'd be fine if they needed to bump him up a couple more million dollars a year, which they just did, by the way. But let's play the long game for a second. I understand what you're saying when you suggest to me that, oh, Josh, that Big Ten and SEC sticker, it means everything. I'd rather be the head coach of Indiana than the head coach of fill in the blank uh, because you've got the security of knowing you've got that Big Ten blanket over you. Well, I disagree with that. You do have security in knowing you're, you're in the biggest fishbowl or one of the biggest fishbowls in the, in the sport, but I personally would much rather have a workable path in the ACC or in the Big 12. I'd even much rather have a workable path in the AAC or even the Mountain West than have a Tier 3 job in the SEC or the Big 10 because what people aren't realizing is at the end of the day, it's still about wins and losses. And when you're adding to these conferences, teams like Texas and Oklahoma, or you're adding Oregon and Washington and USC to these conferences, if you're a tier three job or a head coach at that tier three job, all that means is, yeah, there's more media rights money coming into the conference. And yeah, you may be making a little bit more than you otherwise would have. You're also going to shoulder more losses per year. And if you think these people are going to look and say, oh, four and seven's okay now because the conference is a little bit deeper. They're not. So you're putting yourself in a position where if you are the head coach at a tier three spot in the SEC or the Big Ten, it's impossible to elevate. Whereas if you're tearing it up at Tulane or you're tearing it up at Utah, you could theoretically just afford to sit there and continue to tear it up, make pretty good money, and wait until one of the tier twos or tier ones opens up. That is a much more beneficial strategy long term to me than just saying, I got to get to the SEC no matter what. I got to get to the Big Ten no matter what. Mm, I, I don't know. I, there's a worthwhile goals, but no matter what, understand what you're saying. Understand what those words mean. They're watching us in New Brunswick, Canada, Bluffton, Ohio, and Richmond, Virginia. Thank you guys so much. All right. So, Jesse, I just looked over here again. Are people talking about this thing? Are, have people been talking about T-Rob in Georgia in the chat? Okay, okay, I thought so, because I've looked over here twice and I've seen it. Okay, so I'm going to address this. Uh, Colin, we'll, we'll get to the portal until in a second. So I'm, I'm looking over here at the live chat, and I got people saying, Georgia, the only reason they got Traveris Robinson as their co-DC is because they overpaid for him. There are reports they paid $1.3 million for him. That's his annual salary. Those are the reports. That's not overpaying for Traveris Robinson. And I'll just, I'll just, I'll address this. Okay, so how do you know he's overpaid? How do you know T-Rob's overpaid? What scale do you use? How much should he make, by the way? If you think he's overpaid, how much should he make? How did you arrive at that dollar figure? What kind of scale do you use? What kind of comparative analysis do you do in the market or within the industry in general? How much should a DB's coach make? How much should a wide receiver's coach make? And how do you factor all that in? So, so how do you get your number that comes out in your conveyor belt. I'll probably hear silence for quite a while on that. Um, T-Rob, I think, made $800,000 a year at Alabama. All right. Very quickly, I'm going to walk you through how this works. So he made $800K a year to be a DB coach at Alabama. I'm going to call him a DB coach at Georgia because I don't think he's calling plays over there. So you can put Code DC next to his name all you want to. I'm going to call him a DB coach 
So I'm, I'm actually going to, I'm going to seed that for benefit of the argument. The power for market value, ACC, Big 12, SEC, Big 10 for a DB's coach is about 425 to 450 k a year. But that's not the gotcha figure because this is not just a random power for job. It's an SEC DB job, and it's the University of Georgia. So in the SEC, they typically allocate about 5.5% of their total salary pool to pay a DB coach. This is the University of Georgia. You may or may not be aware they've got one of, if not the fattest salary pools, not only in the SEC, but in college football. So guess what 5 to 5.5% of the salary pool that Kirby Smart has at Georgia comes out to be? Voila. About $1.2 to $1.3 million per year. Let's say we're on the low end. Let's say it's $1.2. Well, Josh, they still overpaid $100,000. You want to know how I can make that up? If that's even accurate, how I can make that up is saying, uh, I need an extra hundred k worth of value. How do I define it? He's a good recruiter. Yeah, but that's already baked in. How about I took a coach from Alabama who, until further notice, is still the biggest threat to me in this conference? T-Rob's not overpaid. If you were paying him 1.3 at Kentucky, he'd be overpaid because Kentucky doesn't have the same salary pool that Georgia does. So it's all contingent on who hires someone and where they go. So a lot of people are running their mouth about that. They don't know what they're talking about because they're not, I'm not even privy to the inner workings of the finances there. I just know a little bit more about it than the average person because I do pay attention to this stuff behind the scenes. They have that salary pool for a reason. Kirby's got the recruiting budget he does for a reason. They got the facility budget they do for a reason. He walked in and said, I want to win titles. If you do too, here's what it's going to take. You got to give, you got to give it all to me. And they've given it all to him. Uh, the B-roll right now of him holding that trophy, that's a national title trophy. They won two in a row because they do that sort of thing. That's how they roll there. And they, they will not continue to cut corners. So if it takes 1.3 to sign the guy they want, they're going to pay 1.3. But they didn't go well above and beyond. They didn't overspend for him. They spent exactly in the range that the book says they should have spent for him. So, all right, now back on track, Colin. Let's talk about what we were supposed to talk about. The transfer portal. I, I didn't... Let me cool down for a second. Probably shouldn't have gotten as worked up over random comments in the chat. But, guys, it's, it's not throwing darts at a board. Do you understand that? It's not just guessing. It's not Kirby flipping a coin or, or waking up and saying, what does my gut say I should pay someone today? He knows. He knows T-Rob's representation knows. Everybody knows. It's not guesswork. Like, that was pretty well mapped out uh, long before pen hit paper over there. Okay, now, transfer portal intel. Ohio State already got their own segment on the show. So I'm not going to dive back into all the big moves Ohio State's made. Uh, you can look it up on the channel if you want to. But Lance Hurd, I am going to talk about. Because that is a 6'6", 340-pound offensive tackle, former four-star, Played just about every game for LSU this past year, and he's headed to Tennessee. Uh, LSU was loaded enough and deep enough at tackle that he may have been the odd man out, and so he was a freshman All-SEC, and he hits the open market, and he's got three years of eligibility left, and Josh Heupel had a big need at that position, and now it's the seventh portal edition for Tennessee. They went and got him. Big splash. I know it hasn't made a ton of front-page headline because of what's been going on at Ohio State, this is a really big deal for Tennessee. That's a plug-and-play type guy. 6'6", 340. He's a five-star. I said he was a four-star. He's a former five-star in the 2023 cycle. What about Des Ricks? He has landed at Texas A&M, number 19 overall player in the portal, number four corner. 
6'182 corner. He got three years left. That's 21 guys who have portaled out of College Station. That's 23 who have now portaled in. Just massive roster turnover. Mike Elko, new head coach there, got the number two overall transfer portal class. They, it, it's, it's just amazing. When you look at the top 40 players in the recruiting cycle for 2023, it's only one year ago, eight of the top 40 have already transferred. So that's, that's not quite 25%, but it's getting close to 25%. Uh, Alabama's making some moves. So you saw guys walk out the door for a second. That may be done. We'll see. Now guys are starting to walk in. They got the number one center in the country. Uh, Parker Brailsford has committed to Alabama. Played for Washington, part of that Joe Moore Award-winning offensive line up there. Number one inside offensive lineman. uh, First-team freshman All-American at Washington last year. Started 13 games at center for him. And it's a really good thing for Bama. And by the way, just a little while ago, Jeremy Bernard, who's been on campus for him, uh, he's a receiver that was at Washington. He was their number four receiver behind those three NFL guys and still had 419 receiving yards last year. He's also committed to Alabama as of the last hour or so. So Taylor DeBoer's looked at his roster he left behind and said, uh, I'll take that one, that one, that one, that one, and that one. Uh, not that many. You just get what I'm saying there. But I am looking at Washington and this is wild. Like everyone's, everyone's looking at Bama saying, oh man, so sad for Bama. Really, they're not. Bama fans are. Dude, look at Washington. Listen to this. So they just won the Joe Moore Award, best offensive line in college football, right? All five of them are gone, either to the portal or to the draft. All five of them are gone. The entire starting offense is now gone. 20 of 22 overall starters are gone. They've got Two defensive guys, I think as of now, that are set to return. That's the transfer portal era. And Jed Fish is now the head coach up there. Totally new team. And they head into the Big Ten this year. Amari Nyblack, he's a guy who left Alabama. 6'4", 233-pound tight end. uh, Third leading receiver for Bama last year. He's headed to Texas. Texas has been a big-time portal player. They will continue to be that. He was number one at his position, number 30 overall in the portal. And you know Jatavian Sanders out the door. Amari Nyblack walks right in, and he's a guy, you can see him doing really big things in that Steve Sarkeesian offense. 6'4", 233 pounds, and probably, probably still has a lot of untapped potential. Texas now number one tight end from the portal, number one wide receiver and number seven wide receiver, number one safety Um, Number four edge guy. So you recruit very well, and they're recruiting at a top five level, and then you just go sprinkle portal dust on your roster. And that's the recipe for being a playoff team. Trey Amos also left Alabama. So we're now seeing the guys who left Alabama. We're seeing them all find landing spots. Trey Amos uh, was a guy who, in spot duty, played very well for Bama last year. He played in all 14 games. He was the number eight corner in the portal uh, played three seasons down at Louisiana, and he transferred to Bama, so he was just at Bama last year. He's gone to Ole Miss, and that's the third DB that Ole Miss has added, and it's understandable because uh, Ole Miss was 75th in pass D overall in 2023. So I know it's mid-January, and I thought we were done talking about the portal, but anytime these coaches leave, their roster is open. It's ripe for the plucking. If Harbaugh leaves Michigan, 
and they elevate Sharon more. A lot of people are waiting to see how many players would leave there. If, if they don't elevate Sharon more and Michigan goes outside for a hire, then that guy's roster, it's open season on them. And vicious cycle, this transfer portal, vicious cycle. You know, FanDuel, I was looking there today, and I was thinking to myself, self, what does FanDuel say about the national championship picture this upcoming year? This was on the heels of Ohio State making the big moves they made. And the transfer portal said, huh, or not the transfer portal, FanDuel said plus 450, Jesse, wasn't that the latest odds on Ohio State to win the title about plus 450? And so I was looking and I said, I'm going to do it. Placed a couple of dollars on Ohio State to win the title. Now, in fairness, I place a few dollars on several teams this time of year to win the title. And then I slowly buy back or I slowly hedge. And really, that's just out of boredom in January and February. But FanDuel's already got it now. You don't have to wait until August. It used to be that you had to wait, and there was that day in the summer where you open up cbssports.com and, uh-oh, so-and-so finally posted some numbers. FanDuel's got them right now for you. They are the exclusive odds provider of Late Kick and Pate State, you know, because as a college campus, we have to have an odds provider. And FanDuel is the only partner that we wanted to do business with because they do business with us the way that we want to do business. So we appreciate FanDuel. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. I got a couple of radical opinions that came our way that I just want to hit. Appreciate you guys being tuned in, especially if you're watching live. Make sure you subscribe to the channel and click like. That's the thumbs up button for those unfamiliar. Let me take a little sip from the chalice. Colin, you can go ahead and put the question up or the statement. This is a statement. And mm, I asked for radical opinions and I would say this is pretty radical. But the more I thought about it, it makes a little sense. So, Everyone's got a thought on bowl season, right? Well, Keith hit me and said, I'm 100% for players opting out of bowls because I want to see guys I haven't seen play yet. Now, Keith, Meemaw would say that's why God invented spring practice and spring games. But I do get what you're saying. I don't think there's a right or wrong here. It's just a matter of preference. And anecdotally, Keith, you could make a strong argument that this past year, fueled that argument a little bit and because uh, I can see it sometimes like when I was watching Tennessee's bowl game against Iowa 
no no shot at Joe Milton. I wanted to see Nico Amaliave at quarterback. Like I wanted to see Jackson Arnold play for Oklahoma. I wanted to see Miller Moss in place of Caleb Williams for USC. And we saw all of those players. And it gave us a really good glimpse into what could be for those teams in 2024. But we also saw Florida State get splattered all over the place by Georgia. So I didn't like that all that much. And there were countless other examples of players opting out. And basically, it just makes that team kind of unrecognizable from the team that existed in the regular season. Now, Keith, if you're a fan of a team, I totally get what you're saying. If you, you may think to yourself, well, we're not playing for a title. We're not in the playoff anyway. We're in the Gator Bowl. So I want to win, but I prioritize seeing our new guys. I want to get them some reps, blah, blah, blah. And you may feel that way about your team, but that's the only team you'd feel that way about. The rest of bowl season, Keith, you don't want to see backup players because you don't care about the backup players on those teams. You want to see the teams as you saw them in the regular season. And so I think that's probably the wiser, holistic way to look at it. And also, whether you like it or not, you got to admit, all the bowl opt-outs are still a product of a broken system. And we did not used to have that problem. So the bigger issue here is not, not would I like seeing guys opt out or do I like it when they opt out? Why are they opting out? And uh, the answer is not good. And it's not something we had to deal with a decade ago, and now we do. So I don't know, Keith. I'm not the biggest fan, but there are times where I can admit I, I do see eye to eye with you. All right, we've taken a brief time out uh, with what we're about to finish up with here. In When would I do it? In spring every year, I ask you guys, give me your boldest predictions that you actually think are going to come true. And I put boldness ratings on them. And then we just save them. We freeze them. And then we thaw them out in January, and we see who was right and who was wrong. And this is going to be a tough ending to the show for me because there are four predictions here that you guys got right, and I didn't think any of them were going to be right. Eh, maybe one of them. So listen to this. So the first one, this takes us all the way back to weeks one and two. Trevor from Arvada, Colorado, said, Colorado's going to beat TCU and Nebraska to start the season. So they were like a three-touchdown underdog against TCU, and they go into Fort Worth and beat them. The story of the sport in week one. And then Nebraska comes to town, and that figured to be a lot more competitive. Um, Colorado beat, that, beat them too. I put a 9.5 boldness rating on that because of week one alone. Winning as a three-touchdown dog and, and thinking what I thought about Colorado's offensive line and how much they were going to struggle. They did, by the way. We weren't wrong about that. Uh, they were just a lot better out of the gate than I thought they were going to be. So that was right. This is, a, this is a valid, bold prediction. Hats off. I put a 9.5, 1 to 10 scale, by the way, 9.5 on it. Uh, they won their first three games. They beat Colorado State as well. The next one is the one I feel best about. And um, we're going to the Big 12 for this one. Andre from Grove City, Ohio, said the Big 12 championship game will not be a rematch from the regular season. What he was basically saying is, OU Texas will not have a part two. We went to the Red River shootout. It was a classic. And Oklahoma wins at the very end. And everyone left that day saying, oh, don't worry. Texas will get their shot. And Texas did get their shot against a team from Oklahoma. It just was not the Sooners. Because... They didn't make it. And so this was no shock to me, as you guys know. 
I, and I alone, predicted Texas versus Oklahoma State in the Big 12 championship game. Now, some out there would claim that I backed off that prediction two months into the season. Some would even go as far as to say we did an entire segment on the show where I re-predicted things. But is there really any evidence of that? I don't know. I, I can't remember any evidence of that. And it would be very unprofessional for me to have gone and hidden the video on our channel. That doesn't sound like something I would do at all. So as far as I'm concerned, and here's what I want you guys to write in your journals tonight, I predicted that thing right. Texas, Oklahoma State, the end. Next up, this one was a little more challenging. This was a really creative one, by the way. Tom from Concord, North Carolina said, NC State will have the best record of any Power 5 team in the Carolinas. So can you name them all, by the way? We're talking about Clemson, North Carolina, North Carolina State, South Carolina, Duke, and Wake Forest. I said this was an 8.75 on the boldness scale. So NC State, out of those teams, is going to have the best record. You know what? They ended up having the best record. They ended up tied with Clemson with nine wins, I think it was, Jesse. Yeah, so they were both nine and four, but NC State won the head-to-head. So that's the tiebreaker in our rule book. So NC State actually did, Tom. They had the most wins of any Power 5 team in the Carolinas. Let's just quickly, for the sake of education, remind you what the preseason totals were. Because you know everyone wants to bet the over in over-under win totals in the preseason. Clemson's over-under was 10. They won nine games under. North Carolina, eight and a half was the preseason total. They won eight games under. NC State was seven preseason. They won nine over. South Carolina was six and a half. They won five under. Duke was six preseason. They won eight over. Mike Elko gets the A&M job as a result. Wake Forest was six in the preseason, four under. Four out of those six teams hit the under. Be careful, kids. Betting those overs is nasty business in the preseason. And lastly, I can't believe this. I had blocked this from my memory. Hoger, classic name and a classic prediction here. Hoger said, Washington becomes the first Pac-12 team since 2014 to make the title game. And unlike TCU, they make it competitive. I don't know how he did it. I put a nine on this and candidly, I thought I would have put above a nine on the boldness scale. Their odds were plus 4,000 to win the national title. I don't know what their odds were to make the title game, but it would have been a very long shot. They were in the mid-teens. If you would have looked at the FanDuel odds in the preseason, Washington would have been mid-teens to win the title. And that's basically them telling you it's not going to happen. And not only did they make it to the title game, they were competitive. Michigan pulled away in the end, but it was a competitive game. Um, That's all I can do. That's why we do bold predictions, so that we can have these kinds of moments. And uh, Hoger, if I were you, I would freeze frame that. I would print it out, and I would hang it up above a mantle in my home or office or, I don't know, wherever you spend the most time. So congrats. Good show tonight. Uh, Very, very lively. A lot to talk about. I know it's January 21st, and I know the casuals would call it the off-season. There's too much happening, guys. you got to keep it locked in. I uh, will be back here Thursday night. We'll have something for you Tuesday or Wednesday, probably a mailbag edition on the podcast feed only. So that's a reminder. This time of year, we do Sunday and Thursday live on YouTube. Tuesday, there is a product we put out, but it's just podcast. So make sure you are subscribed to the Late Kick podcast feed. 
For producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great start to your week in Godless. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.